I'm Laura Green. Welcome to the Sapphic Book Review Podcast, the show that brings you the best in sapphic fiction. Join me as I chat with authors, narrators, and friends who share my love for the genre. You will learn things you didn't know about your favorites and get some suggestions for your next read. Thanks for listening and be sure to subscribe. Welcome to the Sapphic Book Review Podcast. Today's guest's books are some of the most entertaining and creative I have ever read. Anna Burke, welcome and thanks for being here. Thank you so much for having me. I am looking forward to talking about, well, uh, also, first of all, thank you. That was very flattering. (laughs) (laughs) In August, you will be releasing In the Rose of Peria. Can you give us a sneak peek? Sure. Do you want a few hints? Do you want a short reading? What do you mean? Whatever you want to do. How about this? I will okay. give you both and you can edit one out if, if you would like. Okay. <laughs> Hints are it's part epistolary romance between immortals. There's some contemporary romance. It's a love slash hate letter to academia, an accidental obsession with Sappho's poetry, uh, and my personal take on the Fae, which might involve the mushroom agenda. That's <laughs> how I would give my elevator pitch, and that's probably how I would get approximately no readers. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like every time I write a book, I'm like, I don't know what I just did. And I don't really know what it's about. And it's different than the other books. And I just, there's only so many times I can really say that before people start just looking at you funny. So, (laughs) but yeah, I can give you a short reading. This will be the first reading I have given from this book. So you have that dubious honor. (laughs) So to set the scene for you, my main character, Clara, has taken a job with a woman who uh, is definitely just human. You know, there's nothing else going on there. Suspicious at all. Wink, wink. And she's an archivist who has a special interest in a country that no longer exists and also never did because I made it up. So (laughs) she is in the library right now. Sunlight shifted across the room as I strolled the shelves and carefully opened drawers. Fia, who is the not vampire's assistant, hadn't lied about the Greek plays. As I pulled books at random, I discovered copies of ancient commentaries on classical texts, some of which I'd heard of or read, and some that were entirely new to me. Tragedies and satires were bound together, almost haphazardly in some places. In one drawer, I discovered an illuminated manuscript with a scribbled catalog card, dating it roughly 12th century from a nunnery I hadn't realized produced illuminated manuscripts. When I opened it, I discovered not, as I'd originally thought, a traditional book of hours but a collection of psalms interspersed with erotic drawings, many of which featured nuns performing a different kind of devotional act. The occasional demon surfaced, which was traditional in medieval eroticism, but there was a tenderness in some of the scenes that exhibited real artistry, despite the prevailing tendency to represent human anatomy in the general shape and color of a parsnip. Other drawers contained incredibly preserved papyri, still more revealed small carved figures, knives, and textiles. I recognized a Celtic fertility figurine, but not a misshapen bronze figure weathered past recognition by age. One drawer held a jeweled cast skull. I shut it gently, not loving the way the emeralds set in the eye sockets seemed to watch me. The next cabinet I opened was the one Thea had waved at first. Nectopolis. Pottery lined the top shelves, along with fragments of what had once been a mosaic. Reddish-brown mosaic tiles depicted part of a flower, but the rest of the scene was missing. I pulled the drawer open at random to find a collection of papyri pressed between preservation-quality sleeves. Adrenaline tasted metallic on my tongue. So little writing had survived the collapse of the kingdom, and here were sheaves of it. I'm going to skip ahead a little bit. So she's about to read some of the letters that make up the epistolary component of the novel. Slowly, mouthing the syllables with reverence, I read... From the tech to her dearest and sharpest of knives, you burn me, or rather, I think you long to, for it is twice now that my words have found you. They have found you. 
If you thought to fool me with your silence, you're not the adversary I know you to be. What did you do with that letter, that curl of papyrus? Did you burn it in effigy? I felt the shift when I entered your awareness. A silence past sound, a stillness past death. The immensity of you is what intrigues me most. My own influence is vast, but this is as it should be. Yours is vaster, which is not. If I am wrong, tell me. You know where to send your reply. You've known, I think, for quite some time. And that's where I will leave you today. Oh, very nice. I'm intrigued. Well, you know, I prepared that reading, and by prepare, I mean I... These are my page proofs, so it was a panicked, like, where do I even begin? So I don't know about the quality. I'll leave that for you to decide. (laughs) And I'm thinking, why aren't you narrating your own books? you got, like, a whole theatrical thing going on there. Oh, thank you. That's because I spend too much time talking to my dogs. I feel you there, sister. (laughs) Yes. I have a narrator who I enjoy working with. The only thing that I narrate myself are some things for Patreon, but it's it's a skill set and the editing's a skill set and I just don't I don't have that skill set. <laughs> what do you have planned for the next books in the Compass Rose and Seal Cove series? Well, I'm working on the third and final book in the Compass Rose trilogy, as well as two prequels set in that world. One of the prequels is a short story that I will be making available free with my newsletter once it gets through edits. And the other is a novel about Miranda that I've been working on for a while now. I've released parts of it on Patreon, which I, of course, will probably eventually take down and totally rewrite because it's still very much a nebulous work in progress. Books in that world seem to take me a long time to write. Part of it is because Miranda is just so fucking difficult. Pardon my French. (laughs) She's not a cooperative character. I really like her, but she gives me trouble. As for Seal Clove, the next stop is going to be Stevie and Angie's story. I have titled it, I think, tentatively Windward, or have I forgotten? Anyways, the title's a work in progress. (laughs) But I am really excited to dive deeper into their story. Don't tell the other characters in that series, but those two are my favorites. And after that, I have some tentative plans for Stormy. I've actually, I've started her book, but then I paused it because I felt like Stevie and Angie needed to be next and have that spotlight. Well, I've got summer coming up and I'm an academic, so that's it's a long summer. It's like four months. So I'm really hoping that I can get at least part of a draft of... Several books done this summer. That's, you know, definitely optimistic. Summer's for Seal Cove. If you were a crew member of Man of War from Compass Rose and Seawolf, what would your role be and would you survive until the end of the book? Um, I would not survive. I think that I can <laughs> say that right out the gate. And honestly, I don't know if I would want to survive. It's not a particularly friendly world. <laughs> <laughs> but I would probably just be someone really minor or Miranda's doormat. <laughs> I think it was the best way to describe my role there. And if they knew who I was, they would kill me because I've done terrible things to them and have (laughs) more terrible plans ahead. A friend of mine told me, I don't know if you're going to like those books because you normally don't read that kind of story. And I said, no, no, I'm going to do it. I'm going to go in. I'm going to dive in. Absolutely love them both. Well, I'm very glad to hear that. And I also appreciated your use of the phrase dive. I I like a good nautical (laughs) tie-in. You like that? Didn't even mean to do it. That's just how good I am. Yeah, that's a true pun master. (laughs) Which of your books would you most like to see turned into a movie and who would play the main characters? I think Compass Rose. It's just like that seems to be the most, the one my readers like the most. So I guess it's a little bit of fan service there. I have a love-hate relationship with it, but I would say Compass Rose for this sole purpose that I would love to see Tessa Thompson play Miranda. I think that would just be, that would be it. I really don't care about anybody else. Although (laughs) if... 
Natalie Emmanuel wanted to play Rose, I would be very okay with that too. That's my own little fan cast. I'm that person, if you ask, oh, have you seen whatever it is? I'll be like, no. And then they'll describe the show to me and I'll be like, oh, maybe. And I have like no pop cultural retention at all. So when people ask me, oh, who should play what? I'm like, well, that one actress who was in this thing that I can't remember who was in that thing who might be a brunette, right? (laughs) (laughs) And I have just the opposite problem. If you were an actress on All My Children in 1984, I'll remember you. Wow. Yeah. Okay. Doesn't serve me any purpose and it doesn't do anything for me. It hasn't made me any money, but it's there. It impresses people at trivia night. Yes. And I'm terrible at trivia. So, you know, next time I'm at trivia night, I'll just call you up. Give me a call. (laughs) (laughs) You've written retellings of Beauty and the Beast with Thorne and Robin Hood with Nottingham. As a child, what were your favorite fairy tales? Spoiler alert, those two. Um, (laughs) (laughs) Have you read Robin McKinley? No. I was born in 1990. Oh, Jesus. (laughs) <laughs> today's oh. my birthday <laughs> today's uh, your birthday it is yeah well happy birthday dear thank you i just turned 33, 33. uneventful year I, I have socks older than you well you might want to think about replacing those but <laughs> i'm not gonna judge you <laughs> if they're quality made then they've held up and you know honestly great i'm really happy for you <laughs> so rob mckinley was like that cusp of right when young adult started to be a genre that actually catered towards women in a way that wasn't, you know what I'm trying to say? Yeah. Yeah. I'll just stop talking. But anyway, so I loved her work. She did a lot of fairy tale retellings as well as some of her own original fantasy. And you know, th- those definitely like lodged themselves deeply into my mind. And so between her work and the library scene in Disney's Beauty and the Beast, I think almost every reader and writer would say that was influential. So I definitely found myself gravitating towards... Beauty and the Beast for a couple reasons. You know, initially, I was like a weird kid, and so that appealed to me, as it I think did to many weird kids. And then as I grew older, I got really interested in Stockholm Syndrome and just kind of like how incredibly messed up that story really is, and I wanted to explore that myself. And then Robin Hood, because I wanted to live in the woods with my friends, and I still do. I mean, uh, there's something very minus minus ticks. Ticks are an issue, especially in Massachusetts, but. If I could figure out how to deal with them, I would move into the woods full time. <laughs> My friends and fellow author, Melina Mackay, quoted me and then had commissioned a cross stitch, which I'm looking at right now. And I'm quoted as saying, drown in a bog on your way to my doorstep with your torches. So I (laughs) I don't really have a memory of saying that, but it's definitely something I would say. So living in the woods with my friends would be ideal. Maybe a little anarchy, maybe a little anti-capitalist activity. I, I, I don't know. You know, I'd probably just be gathering mushrooms. So that sounds like a good time. It does, right? You know, I'm really good at building forts. Yeah, it's just very peaceful. You don't have to yeah. deal with people. No, oh my God, wouldn't that be nice? And if your friends get on your nerves, you could probably get rid of them. No one will ever know. You know, the best way, the things I say in public are just really quite, you know, but I've heard the best way is when like a tree falls over and the roots are exposed, you put the body beneath the root, then you cut the tree down and then it just flips back over. Oh, wow. There's the stump. Yeah. You could even carve someone, you know, like a little memorial into the stump. That's a good idea. Yeah. So there, there you go. I decide to kill anybody. I'm calling yeah. you. Murder tips for the day. <laughs> <laughs> Your books, excluding the Seal Cove series, are fantasy sci-fi. Are these the books you gravitate to as a reader? I think for the most part, yeah. I've always been a huge fan of stories that push the imagination, which speculative genres kind of do by definition. I also like work that really blends genre or makes me think about queerness in a new and interesting way. But I will read almost anything. Every time I think to myself, oh, you know... I don't really like that genre. 
I'll come across a book that totally changes my mind. So I'm a pretty omnivorous reader, but the first section of the library, the bookstore I go to is always the sci-fi fantasy section. And I like to just, even if I don't choose a book, I just like to walk by and like see my book friends, you know, <laughs> you're like, oh yeah, there you are. Oh, look at you. Look at all pretty there. <laughs> That's how I shop and read. You teach creative writing at the college you graduated from. What made you take a job at the school you attended? So I got my MFA in Emerson's residential program because I knew I wanted to teach. But I also, when I was initially looking into MFAs, I noticed that Emerson had an online popular fiction MFA program. And the classes just sounded like something that I really wanted to take. But I wanted to teach and residential gives you more of that teaching experience. And then when I sort of like snuck into teaching I mean, not stuck in when I was hired. <laughs> I, I, I do feel like I weaseled my way into that program. And I had the opportunity to go from teaching, you know, c- composition, which you do it often as a grad student, and which is its own thing. But I was thrilled to go from teaching students who maybe didn't really want to write to teaching creative writing students who like desperately wanted to learn how to, you know, just talk about all this craft stuff. And I got to read their incredible work and I really enjoy it. And teaching also makes me think about my own craft in a way that I probably wouldn't on my own. You know, I'm pretty self-driven, but there's only, there's a certain level of motivation it takes to just push yourself to, you know, constantly be learning about your craft and learning about those things. And I'm realistic and I probably wouldn't. There's only so much time in the day. So teaching forces me to like turn on that side of my brain. And I'm also a huge nerd and I like academia, despite <laughs> everything. <laughs> Have you ever had anyone in your class who recognized you and has read some of your books? Yes. And I've had the opposite, which is students who have taken my classes and then read my books. <laughs> I had a class of undergraduates once. And sometimes I don't tell my students that I'm an author. You know, like my graduate students know because it's online and you know, they can see my bio. But when I'm teaching undergraduates... So sometimes that leads to things like towards the end of the semester, back when I was first teaching composition, I had a class of undergraduates and they found out and then a bunch of them read my work and then a bunch of them went on to Goodreads and like started reading reviews dramatically aloud in the, in the classroom, which luckily they were nice reviews, but that was an experience that I think any author would just kind of maybe pee themselves a little bit. <laughs> so yeah, I've had some interesting book student <laughs> interactions. <laughs> How did you meet your wife and what would you title the book based on your story? Well, so I'm an English major. I have an undergraduate degree in studio art and English literature. So obviously it made perfect sense that I was TAing a agricultural class on driving draft horses (laughs) at UMass Amherst, where I did not attend. (laughs) That's its own story. But so I, I was... Tiane, they passed with, with my friend who was you know, the, the teacher and my wife was in the class. And I remember, you know, I, I walked up, I showed up late because that's unfortunately a characteristic of mine that I'm really always putting on and ADHD is like, mm, nope. <laughs> so that's a battle. But I saw this cute girl with like a little baseball cap on sitting on the grass, you know, and I was like, <laughs> gay. Um, <laughs> my exact like internal monologue. But then I had a lot of health problems that semester. So I kind of like vanished, came back and forth. But there was a lot of dramatic eye contact, but between horse butts. <laughs> so we became friends and that like gradually developed over time. So I guess the title of that book would have to be, I like big parentheses horse butts and I cannot lie. <laughs> and I was like an idiot. So I did a lot of stupid things like jumping bareback onto the back of my big old douchebag of a horse. You know, I was like trying to show off and I'm 
not super proud of myself, but I you know, was like 20, 21 or something. So I was just like, oh, look at me. I'm a, you know. It worked. It did work. I knew I, I had it on the palm of my hand from day one. Clearly, if you can just jump bareback onto a horse, I'm going to be like, damn, girl. Yeah. You know, back then I had thighs of steel these days. No, no. These days I'm like, this is a Victorian invalid. I can't do anything. <laughs> you love all things nautical. Where did your love for the sea come from? Oh, the sea's awesome. How can you not love it? I guess this was my first answer. I had a very nice childhood. I spent a lot of time by the ocean, often visiting my grandparents. My grandmother on my father's side needed to be by water and she had inherited. So she was able to make that happen for herself. So we would visit her and, you know, sometimes in Hawaii, you know, always in Maine, sometimes in Florida. So I was just, I was always near the ocean. And that really became, that became a much more important part of my life, I think, than I realized Certainly, no wonder a kid, you don't appreciate things. <laughs> but as an adult, I can definitely look back and, and, and see that influence. And then we moved to the Caribbean when my wife was doing part of her medical schooling. And during those years, I, I would spend part of my time in St. Kitts. And then the other half, I would have to go back to the States for a few months in the summer to see doctors because I don't actually work as a human organism. <laughs> but then I would be on an island off the coast of Maine during that time too. So I had a couple of years where I was just like by the ocean on an island like all the time and I loved it. And that was also when my respect for the ocean definitely increased and now it borders on like fear. I have seen the things that live there and I've seen some of the things that the ocean can do and I have I am a fleshy terrestrial creature that doesn't belong there. <laughs> but I love it so much. <laughs> It's like comfort, but fear at the same time. Yeah. Maybe also describes a lot of the, the, the characters I write, too. If you could take a cross-country road trip with three other sapphic authors, who would you choose and why? So this is a mean question. Sapphic author describes, like, all of my friends. So you have basically <laughs> just asked me to choose which of my friends I want to take a road trip with. And I'm not going to answer that question because <laughs> I, I, I don't really feel like I could choose, except the way that I would determine this is I would find someone who, who like the comfiest car, who brings the best road trip snacks with like my taste in music and also wouldn't make me drive. So I was trying to think of who might do that. And I've taken road trips with the Spanglers before. So Ray Spangler would be top choice there. Top notch snacks, great kid, love Ray's wife. But beyond that, I'm not, I'm not going to say because I don't yeah. have a van big enough for all of them. That's that's too bad. I don't I don't have a van big enough for my people either. Yeah, and honestly, my car is just full of the the dogs. You know, they get the seats. So we took our dogs to the lake last weekend, and it, we got them little seat thingies so they could sit in the back. And oh, so oh, cute. I bet they loved that. The big one. Well, she's not big. She's nine pounds, but she's bigger than the the baby. <laughs> she did not like being strapped in that seat because normally she's in our laps when we're driving. Mm. So well, that yeah. took some time, but she did love the lake and the geese were well, just very exciting. Someone has to manage those geese. That's true. She let them know. She was not yeah. having it. No, I um, accidentally taught my German shepherd, my black wolf German shepherd. We would be in fields and I would point her at the geese and tell her to H-U-N-T. And now I have a dog who I've trained to do that. <laughs> <laughs> so if I ever want her to chase something, I just use that word. And I don't always use it for the cause of right and justice. Well, who cares? I don't it's use fine. my power for good. I <laughs> what are the three places you would most like to visit? Scotland, New Zealand, and Antarctica. Oh, wow. It's going to be cold there. I feel like I would like a drone visit to Antarctica. Like maybe I don't want to be there myself, but I just, for so many reasons, some of them secret book related, but also I, not to get sad, but 
I want to see things before we totally destroy them. And I would also love to see other places on the planet, but because of my autoimmune, like chronic illness stuff, I'm, I want to go places where there are diseases that will definitely kill me. And I'm pretty sure there aren't very many diseases in Antarctica because there are no bugs because it is so cold. So that is an appeal. Maybe there are bugs. Don't ruin it for me. If you don't. <laughs> I don't have any knowledge of it. So in my mind, there are no bugs. Okay, good. Yeah, there are penguins and ice. Yeah, that's good stuff. I'm going to travel the world and I'm going to find MH370. I don't know where that damn plane is, but I'm obsessed. Well, I wish you the best of luck. Maybe I'll include it in the next Compass Rose book. They'll just like happen to get past the ship and they'll see like one number of the wing. I mean, no, because it's 500 years in the future. It'll be dissolved. But <laughs> so sorry. I was going to offer you that service, but I, I, I can't. Damn it. Got to find out what happened to that plane. Mm-hmm. Oh, man. Okay. This is serious. Okay. If you were on death row. What would be your last meal? Easy. I would want a big stack of fluffy blueberry pancakes drenched with a real maple syrup. I want those hot blueberries when they burst in your mouth and that, you know, just like that fluffy pancake texture. And then I would die happy. I was yeah. talking about this with Kate Castle and Morgan Lee Miller, and they were laughing at me because I said, I like margarita pizza. I'll have some margarita pizza, maybe some bread, and then I'll have yeah. a nice salad. And they're like, you can't have a salad for your last meal. You can. Yeah, you can. I love vegetables. They're yeah. so... Vegetable. I don't even know how to pronounce that word. Vegetables <laughs> are so good. So good. Yeah. You could like nom on a carrot stick, you know, just like, <laughs> you know, that, like power move where someone bites into an apple, but that could be you like aggressively eating your carrot stick at your executioner. I don't know how that works. <laughs> I don't know if you get to eat it by yourself or if you have an audience. Well, I would almost want an audience because I would want them to really know how much I was enjoying my blueberry pancakes. Just make some very inappropriate sounds. Make them uncomfortable. Thank you. Yes, exactly. I feel you like you it. and I are we're yes. right here. Yeah, there's you have nothing to lose and who knows what I would do. <laughs> Be like Meg Ryan all over again. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Anna, thanks so much for taking the time to chat. I really appreciate it. You are very welcome. I apologize for all the weird things I said to you, and it was a pleasure chatting today. <laughs> thanks so much for listening, and thanks again to Anna Burke for joining me. To learn more about Anna and find links to purchase her book, visit AnnaHBurke.wordpress.com. To support this podcast, you can buy me a coffee at buymeacoffee.com slash sapphiclaura, or join my Patreon at patreon.com slash sapphicbookreviewpod where you can hear your favorite authors play Would You Rather. Here's a sample of this week's with Anna Burke. Thanks again for listening, and until next time, happy reading. Would you rather have to get a tattoo of the title of the last book you read or the last TV show you watched? Hmm, what was the last book I read? I'm currently reading student novels, um, so does that count? I don't know. You know what the last book I read I'm reading is A Day of Fallen Night. And that's a pretty cool title. So it is. Yeah. And I was rewatching Arcane. So also cool. I'll go with The Day of Fallen Night and I would get it as a tramp stamp. Would you rather visit Italy or Greece? Ooh, why? Why? You are so mean. <laughs> I know. Um, Part of my charm. For book research, I would have to say Greece. I watched a documentary last week and I'm like, damn me, I want to go to Greece. The islands look beautiful. I mean, the I whole know. thing looks really interesting. And I have questions for Greece that I want answered. I'm sure they'll answer them for you. I'm sure. Well, yeah. Just show up and be like, hi, Anna Burke here. I have questions. Oh, I'm question. right this way, Miss Burke. Yeah. <laughs> That's exactly what will happen, I'm sure. <laughs>